Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Today I wanted to talk about employment scams. Chances are you've seen headlines about them or a post from a victim on LinkedIn or maybe my post about it a couple weeks ago. And typically fraudology focuses on fraud that is targeting your business, whether that's a bank or a financial institution, a fintech, an e-commerce company, where because of payment rules or government regulations, your company is liable for the financial piece of the fraud. And obviously in the last few years that has expanded quite a bit. It's not just chargebacks, it's not just charge-offs and identity theft and all of that. There's so many other forms of abuse, other types of fraud that may not impact your bottom line directly, but have you know great impacts to the customer trust or your brand reputation and so many other pieces. And so that's really, this employment scam is one of them. And we've talked about it for months, whether it's myself or my guests over the last few weeks, especially I yell at Bigger 11 last week, as well as when Frank McKenna and Marianne Miller joined me for New Year's predictions. We talked a lot about how scams targeting consumers are really impacting not just individuals, but our society in a new way that I just don't think we've ever seen before. And it can be really overwhelming. And sometimes, uh, at least for myself, it can sometimes paralyze me where I'm like, well, there's not a lot I can do. So maybe I just don't do anything. And however, people like Ayala, people like Aaron West on LinkedIn, who I hope to have on the podcast soon, they can, there's other people too, that just continue to post about specific scams that I really appreciate because it reminds me, no, these are still happening and these are happening big time. And they're eroding the trust within our society and our um, communities, but also robbing people blind. And, you know, if you're a fraud fighter, it doesn't totally matter to you. Of course, your number one objective is to protect your company's bottom line, but our sense of justice is not isolated to those people who are stealing from our own company. And sometimes it's even more so when they're stealing from consumers that, you know, they just don't know any better. And sure, we can say, how could they not know? But I have to say the people and the organizations really, because this is not just like one single person in their basement or their mom's basement or whatever mental picture you come up with or we have just over the years when talking about fraud. These are top crime organizations that are really making these so much more sophisticated it's not as easy as those prints, the email print scams that often would come from Nigeria back when email was first starting. They, It's not as easy as looking for a typo or broken English or broken whatever language it is. So 
What I wanted to do, especially for the employment scam, this does actually have an impact on any company that's an employer, and it's impacting them in very unique ways. Not just brand reputation, but certainly that's a big one. I think the first time I actually heard about this employment scam was when Rob McCall from Uphold um, was on the podcast a few months ago, and he had just happened to get a call from someone who thought that they had interviewed for a job for his company that day when we were talking for the interview, and so he shared that as an example. And... I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's that's bad. And then I saw a few more posts about it on LinkedIn over the you know, last month or two. And then especially in the last two or three weeks, this has just exploded. And as more and more companies are laying off their employees, you know, just last week it was Google with, I might get the exact numbers wrong, but I think Google laid off 12,000 people and Amazon laid off 18,000. So total of 30,000 more tech professionals are out in the job market. And remind yourself how you felt the last time you were looking for a job, especially if you didn't have one currently. There's so much emotion that's tied to providing for yourself, for your family, and your self-worth, and just all these other things, and your guard is down. And that is a scammer's paradise. So I wanted to read first a really well-written victim statement that was posted on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. And then I'm going to share some information from a client of mine who reached out to me about a week and a half, two weeks ago, asking for help on this. And then we'll go into some of the things that can be done both for the victim as well as the employer who is being impersonated. So the first thing I do is read this statement from a guy who, I mean, was very brave. I, obviously, we can talk about just this portion for hours, but and I yell it and I did a little bit last week, where one of the problems with scams is that they go so unreported. And the big reason for that is shame. Oftentimes, like I just said, he will say, oh, I can't believe they fell for that. Well, guys, it's getting so much more sophisticated. And even then, I think we have to remind ourselves that not everyone or most everyone doesn't do what we do for a living. They don't have a front row seat to all of the different tricks. They aren't constantly looking for motivation and hidden hidden reasons why people are contacting you and they're not. I think that a lot of us in fraud have justifiable trust issues, especially with people that we don't know well. And that actually goes into even more about buyers and sellers and on the vendor side and, you know, how vendors say, I don't understand why they, you know, won't like me, gosh, for a living. All we do is try to figure out what someone's hidden motivations are. So anyway, just remember that when you're talking to scam victims, they don't know what they don't know. And they might be really good at their industry and their profession, but they don't know about what we have to know and what we've learned over the years. And even if it's not a scam that you've heard about a million times, you probably you know, would ask yourself a few more qualifying questions before handing over money or buying something and sending it or whatever that end goal is. But again, I mean, if you didn't do this, if you didn't surround yourself with other people in the industry, if you didn't follow a lot of people on LinkedIn in the industry, if you didn't listen to fraudology, I hope that's been helpful for you in knowing these things. Would you be able to spot it either? It's hard to know. So Anyways, I really commend this victim for sharing his story. And I selected this one while there's several more because he really did do everything he could think of to be diligent in, in verifying that this person was who they said they were. Here's how it starts. A month ago, I started a parentheses fake new job. I did a parentheses fake onboarding. I met parentheses fake colleagues. Scammers are posing as fake recruiters and tracking people that were laid off recently in the tech industry. In my case, they used my a profile in another on another platform to reach me. I received an email from a recruiter from 
a very well-known, I'm masking this, but it's a well-known um, crypto exchange and not a poll, actually a different one. <laughs> the message was sent via Bamboo HR, which is, you know, a known HR platform. I know this HR platform, so it sounded legit. I am naming Bamboo HR. That does not mean that they were complicit in any way. Just throwing that out there. But it's important for them to know about this too. And if it's not Bamboo HR, it's going to be something else. But again, it just like Ayala talked about the scam life cycle, knowing how your company is utilized in the scam life cycle to look legitimate can be very helpful, both to protect you know, your own brand and the trust in your brand, but also to protect consumers from scams like this. So the approach was very straight and to the point. The next day I did an online interview and I got a job offer. It was a remote position as a contractor, something that I'm quite familiarized with. The salary was good, but I requested a couple days to think about it. First, I checked the quote unquote fake recruiter background. He had 8,000 connections on LinkedIn, nine recommendations, and he previously worked on three very well-known big company recruiting teams. I chatted with a friend from a company that works with the organization that I was hired for. Her feedback was, everything in the crypto world is quite shady and new. It's not that awkward receiving a job offer in 24 hours. I also found a guy from the marketing team for the company that had hired me that shares tons of connections with me. I asked him if he recommended working for that company and he recommended them as an employer and answered some of my doubts. So I signed the employment contract. One day later, I got a welcome email and a link to another platform. Uh, the whole onboarding was there and I virtually met an HR person. So it's a like a chat app or an encrypted messaging system that is often used, especially in correlation with crypto and other things like that. So again, the whole onboarding was there and I virtually met an HR person. He explained that I was going to do 10 days paid training. I even got some video tutorials. The first day was normal. The second day, not so much. I had to install another software and analyze the competitor of this company, of the company I was working for. At some moment, I was requested to buy USD $200 in Bitcoins. After funding my wallet, I should transfer this Bitcoin to the account, the training account, in quotation marks, for the crypto company that I was hired to work for. I raised red flag and requested a video chat with the fake recruiter. The person was, who was doing the onboarding noticed that I was not comfortable and cleverly explained that I should order my remote equipment in the meanwhile. He directed me to a fake landing page from a well-known electronics company where I had to pick some items, a MacBook Pro, noise canceling, headphones, etc. Around 10 minutes later, I got an email from someone from that website. And that website, it was their B2B, so he basically placed an order and then was given an invoice for that order rather than paying via online checkout. The invoice for the items was $3,200 in USD. I paid attention to the email and I looked for grammar errors. I also noticed subtle changes in the company's email and website. That's when I was sure I was being scammed. I sent messages to all the companies involved about the scam, LinkedIn included. Their response, and I'm not kidding, was almost a shrug emoji. Later, I found some articles about this crime. Cryptocurrency transactions are irreversible. Did you know? These scammers know how to target vulnerable people and swindle them. I felt really stupid and naive when I discovered it, but I know this is not a silly scam. These guys are pros. They know the standard remote first job conditions and the tech industry's hiring culture. And then he just said, if you've read this far, thanks. I discovered some people that had similar experiences and they feel too ashamed to share their stories, but we need to help spread this. That post ended up 
I can't even remember, but it had like millions of interactions. And I'm grateful for that. And I hope that helps spread the word. But there are so many different employment scams that have a little bit different twists that it can become really confusing. Okay, well, they didn't ask me to download, you know, it's not for a crypto company or they didn't ask me to download a crypto competitor and transfer funds and Bitcoin. So it must not be fraud. So anyway, that's why I wanted to go through this. So then about a week or two later after reading that one and several other similar posts, but that one from a victim was, I think, really well done. And I think it'd be interesting to, I hope that as you guys were listening to that, you were thinking, what else could he have done? There's maybe a couple things, but anyway. And then I got an email from a client of mine. This is a client that works with other companies on fraud, and I'm just an advisor to them on like what new fraud schemes are out there and, and how they can help their companies. So one of their customers reached out, and I'm just going to call them ABC. That way, I'm not trying to explain what they do, because it doesn't matter what they do. They're going to do this to any company. I think it's worth noting that what from what I've found, a lot of the companies that are being targeted as you know, to impersonate employers are companies who have really good reviews from employees, like on Glassdoor and similar uh, websites, companies that knowingly and publicly have remote positions uh, that are in tech. It, it makes perfect sense. It's the, with everything that's happened in the last few years with remote working, with COVID and everything else, there are a lot of people being hired without ever meeting someone in person. And so this is perfect breeding grounds for that. So this is an email from the CEO of um, ABC Company. It's been brought to my attention that scammers are posing as ABC recruiters and hiring employees for remote positions, only later to learn they were scammed. As uh, your company helps us in fraud, I turn to you seeking help in this urgent matter. Can you advise on best practices a merchant can take to both protect themselves and prevent this issue from happening? If you're unfamiliar with this particular portion of the greater fraud prevention process, can you advise if you know of any contacts in your industry as to where I can best seek advice to address this issue? I've attached some of the initial correspondence and documents and all of the evidence that the, one of the victims received from ABC company. And then he follows up with, as you can see, these fraudsters have very convincing documentation. So just going through this a little bit, I wanted to first read the email from the victim. So this is when she realized she was scammed and she's reaching out to the company that was impersonated. Hello, ABC HR department. I am, I won't give her name, we'll say... Jane Smith. And I was recently hired to be a social media manager for the New York office remotely. I did the interview through Wire, which is an app. And I actually meant to look up if it's a legitimate app or not, but I'm assuming it is. It's probably just, again, part of the scam lifecycle. They're using legitimate apps that people don't really question downloading with someone named, okay, I'm going to say this guy's name because it doesn't matter. These are obviously scammers and made up names. So I did the interview through Wire, an app with Jason Wood, and they said my new boss would be Larry something else through Wire. Okay, so Larry then sent me a check in the app, which I deposited through my banking app, and the check was on hold until January 26th. This was literally just last week, obviously. This morning I checked my account and it said that the check was invalid. I called the bank to see what was the problem, and they said that the company bounced the check. Now there is a negative balance in my account over $3,000. My question is, what is going to happen to fix this issue? And I've attached paperwork to this email and other documents that were sent to me. I don't blame this person, but they're reaching out to the actual company saying, hey, you going to pay me back? I was scammed and I thought it was you guys. So then there was another email to internally because she also called the customer service. And this is from a customer service rep to the boss. I had a call today from Jane Smith. 
there is someone that is pretending to be from HR, hiring people and having them send pictures of a check for work supplies. She told me that a Scott emailed her from careers at ecompany.store. The number he called her from was not a working number. The number he called from was blah. He called her twice. Then she did a job interview with a Jason. He then told her she was going to be paying for her equipment, which was a MacBook, an iPad 2021, and a printer. They also asked her to download um, an app. So this one is particularly, you know, the focus of the scam is an advanced payment scam where they provide a check and then they ask her to buy these items and then the check obviously bounces. What I'm not clear on in all of this is if she sent the items to the company to get special software programs on it, which I know has happened before, and then that's the story they're told, and then they've shipped off the items that they bought with the money they thought they had. By the time they realize that the check is invalid, those items are already in the hands of these fraudsters, and they can then fence them. I don't fully understand that part in all of this, but I think it can happen in different ways. Essentially, we know that Jane Smith was hired by this company, ABC. She had an interview. She met the hiring manager. She was interacting via an app that she thought was safe and fine. She also sent over a couple of the documents that she was asked to sign to really make it seem official. One is a non-disclosure agreement. It's interesting to me. If you weren't icing on NDAs, all the time because I obviously sign a lot of them with the companies that I work with. And to me, this seemed to be missing a lot of pages. I mean, there's only two page NDA and you know, it's pretty basic information. There's not the standard legalese and everything else. But at the same time, if you, you know, are young in your career, if you haven't had to sign very many NDAs, this would look legitimate. It has the actual company's logo on it. It has their actual address on it. It asks for a signature and a counter signature. It says it's a binding agreement. You know, it has similar language. And so that was the first process for the interview. And then when they were hired, they were also asked to fill out a direct deposit form. So again, this looks to me like it's missing things, but that's because again, I sign a lot of, I do a lot of accounts payable paperwork for that for a lot of companies. It's not just like one employer here or there. And it even says that they'll be entering all this data into a well-known payroll system for employee enrollment. It says, no, your company name must be filled in before distributing this form to your employee for completion, which that part I was like, why'd they leave that in? But that, again, that's my fraud brain. That's not my regular person name. So they have a company code, the company name, the employee file number. It says, you know, please read and sign before completing and submitting. I hereby authorize the employer, ABC company, either directly or through its payroll service provider to deposit any amounts owed to me by initiating credit entries, blah, blah, blah. It looks, it probably is copy and pasted from actual payroll direct deposit information. And in this, the victim gave her full name and her address and the name of her bank and the routing number and the account number. Thankfully, either the victim or the employer that sent this over to a client that sent it to me blacked out the checking number. Otherwise, I would have freaked out because any of us that have been in this industry for long enough, if we ever get PAI, we're like, get it off my computer now, especially like account numbers and full 16 digit credit numbers and all that. Anyway, so in this cam, there's actually looks like there's two goals. One was to send a picture of a check front and back to the victim saying, we're going to give you $3,000 in a stipend to purchase this expensive equipment so that you can get your home office started. Sounds fairly legitimate and generous. 
But we need you to buy those things right away. They possibly got credited for it or they thought well, that money's going to clear in the bank account any day. So whatever. And most people don't know that just because a check is entered into your account doesn't mean that it's legitimate for a few days. So the other piece of this was the direct deposit piece and getting this victim's routing number and account number and all of that. So there's obviously a lot that can be done there too. And I'm trying to stifle my rage at the fact that they are targeting people who are in various levels of desperation for getting a new job. They aren't even employed. And it's bad enough to target any consumer, but especially those that have very limited funds. And even if they are getting unemployment in the U.S., it's not their full amount of pay and... While every instance so far I've seen is really targeting the U.S., I do know that they are, like as far as victims and consumers, I do know that there are some international and foreign companies that they are impersonating because you can get away with an accent better during the interview or there's going to be less ways to check and see if it was legitimate. So even if your company isn't based in the U.S., I think it's very important to understand what's happening. So now we basically have two victims, right? We've got the consumer who not only provided their bank account and their routing number, and they provided, they bought items and they deposited a check that now, you know, was bogus and they didn't know about it for a few days and all that. They also thought that they had a job. They probably told their family and friends. They probably might have gone out and celebrated or bought something or just think about like the emotions and the highs and lows that can come from that. And just how much more cautious you're going to be next time. And, you know, are you going to turn down another offer for a remote job? Because now you don't know if you can trust them. There's so many ripple effects from all of these scams that just, when you really start to think about it, it's like, wow. But also, as you could tell in the email from the victim, she's looking at the legitimate company going, hey, you guys were impersonated. Not my fault. I want my money back. So what can everyone do? <laughs> and what I did is I went through, I basically spent two hours on a Sunday where I thought about everything I would tell this company. And at first I was like, I don't know if I really know that much because this isn't my type of fraud. But then I realized, actually, there's a lot of things that are applicable to both. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, 
and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. I created a couple documents and I'm going to be offering the, or I'm going to be providing them publicly and I'm not exactly sure. I think they might be posted on Medium. I haven't decided that yet, but hopefully if they're not, if I don't have a link in the show notes for them directly, by the time this episode comes out on Thursday, February 2nd, I, you can email my assistant or actually just email info at chargelyticsconsulting.com. And my assistant can send this these documents to you in PDF form to have them or, or provide them to someone you might know that is a victim or could be. They're targeting companies that are both very large, well-known ones, like the crypto company, as well as more smaller, small-ish businesses that you know aren't going to have a ton of people on LinkedIn that they can reach out to or just that looks legitimate enough, but not, oh yeah, I know 12 people that work there or something like that. Really the way that, you know, those are my this document starts, I'm starting off with the first document, which is for when companies are impersonated and what to do is for companies. So essentially it explains what the job seeking scam is and that, that there's really you know, a couple of different goals and the victims are asked for either and one to purchase high-end electronics for their quote-unquote home office. They're told the purchases will be reimbursed on their first paycheck or they're provided a, obviously a check in advance, but that's uh uh, next, but they need to purchase the items and ship them immediately to the employer to have proprietary software downloaded, and the items will be returned to them by their start date. That's what they're told. Obviously, we know the items won't be returned to them. Or And or they receive a copy of a check front and back via a third-party messaging app that the company uses. They're asked to submit the check via their bank's mobile banking app. And in the, so there were some screenshots back and forth between the victim and who she thought her new employer was instructing her on how to do this. So this is kind of how I knew all this. And they were very clear that they wanted her to use her mobile banking app. I know from other things we talked about with tech fraud with Frank McKenna and other guests, that's because there aren't as many checks and balances as you would think on mobile banking apps. And you're not dealing with a human, right? But also you can just submit a copy of a check. You don't actually have to have the check physically there. As long as it's a good copy, the bank doesn't always know. I, my banking app is different. I, it definitely requires a live check, but not all of them do. So that's why they're really, because uh, I know in those, uh, in the correspondence, it asks, do you have a mobile banking app? If so, this is how you do it. So something to point out. So they're asked or they're instructed to submit the check via their bank's mobile banking app to purchase the equipment requested or required to purchase. Or once they deposit the check, they're informed it was for too much and they're asked to send the overpayment back to the employer, which obviously is an overpayment scam or advanced fee scam. There was one part of me that thought, why would they ask for the copy of check? Why would they ask her to deposit a check from them right away if they also got her direct deposit information? Couldn't you just say, well, can you just direct deposit it to me? However, it can take a few days or weeks to set up direct deposit. So I'm sure that is an excuse that they could say, right? Hey, why don't you just do a direct deposit? Well, 
want to get you this money right away so that you're not out anything. Well, that's a really thoughtful employer. Okay, I'm not going to think about it again. So here's another thing or a way that victims are being targeted. And I think there are probably variations on this, but these are the three most common that I've seen um, and heard about. If there's another one of these that you think I'm missing, please let me know. Or three, they're told that they need to fill out direct deposit forms with their new employer, providing their bank routing and account numbers. Once the victim realizes that the job offer never existed, the legitimate company was and that the legitimate company was impersonated, they also realize they've basically been robbed. But there's no way for them to contact or trace the fake employer. So they contact the legitimate employer, sometimes expecting them to reimburse them. Other times they write horrible reviews online about the company as if that legitimate company perpetrated the scam. Because I, it's understandable, right? Consumers like, you should have known or you should have done something to not be impersonated. That unfortunately isn't totally true. But of course, you're looking for someone to blame and you're looking for someone to take care of you financially. So even though the impersonated company referred to as the company and the rest of this isn't liable for any of these financial losses, obviously it's a brand issue. And if scam victims don't feel heard and aren't treated with empathy or if they're told that they won't get their money back or just if they feel like the company essentially is responding with a shoulder shrug like the first victim said, they'll often get louder, often write posts on social media or Reddit or reach out to stations or reporters to say this company said that they were being impersonated and make it look like you had weak defenses. So it's so important that the company have some suggestions on what they can do and make it known that they're taking it seriously. You know, the second priority obviously should also be have clear communication and action steps to provide the victims that contact your company's customer service department. Because again, if there's any ambiguity in it, ambiguity in a response and any of us who have been in customer service or you know part of your responsibilities in leading a fraud team are to interact with customer service and provide scripts we all know if there's any ambiguity in the response they're going to push 10 times harder to escalate and they'll also often assume that it's the company's liability and they'll just be like you know that one person said i'm sorry so therefore it's their fault something like that and you know, it's human psychology 101 so here are the highly recommended company steps i'm just going to go over them on a high level Number one thing I recommend, and I think that all companies should do this, whether you've been impersonated or not. I understand you might have a battle with your communications department, but there are a bazillion articles you can look at for employment scams to show them and say, hey, if this was our company, this what would it do to our brand? Okay, let's go ahead and do this. Because when you put yourself in the shoes of someone who's looking for a job, when you're contacted by a recruiter from that company, and again, these people are contacting from an actual company. Someone pointed out in a LinkedIn comment the other day that there's so many third-party recruiting companies too that it wouldn't be hard to impersonate those either. They, oh, we were hired or oh, we were asked, even if they weren't, right? There are some recruiting companies that will go off and find someone and then they'll pitch it to a large, you know, employer saying, hey, I've got the best person, but you have to pay me XYZ. That's legitimate, but it would be easier to impersonate them even than a regular company. But the first thing that someone's going to do if they feel like a recruiter from a specific employer has reached out to them is Google that employer, you know, and they'll probably go to their jobs page. They'll probably look and see what jobs they're hiring for, see if that position's available, you know, on there. And it may not be, but they the recruiter might say, we're hiring for a social media manager and we haven't even posted on our website yet, but I saw your profile and just thought it'd be awesome. And here we go. But they're probably going to go on the site. So I think it's super important to have, you know, a warning message on the top of their career page, as well as the company LinkedIn page. And if your company is able to edit 
better information on a uh, website like Glassdoor or others that have like employee uh, reviews or ratings about working at a company, but there as well, it should be in bold lettering, highlighted in red, whenever you can to get attention right at the top. And it should say something like important. A recruiter from this company will only reach out to you if you have already applied for a position on our official career website at, and then the specific domain name. If a recruiter from this company does reach out to you after you have applied on our website, the recruiter will send an email from our official email domain of, and include the dot because a lot of times what they're doing in the case of the victim that I share second one, they're sending from dot store or dot something else, right? You probably own the dot com, but you may not own every other dynamic domain, which I was talking about domain or dynamic domains years ago before they became a thing, knowing that they would be used for impersonation. Uh, I really hate it when I'm mind about these things. It's I'm not bragging. But other things that should be added to this bulletin is additionally, you know, we'll never ask for new Ask newer prospective employees to download an app to perform the interview process or require you to deposit a copy of a check via mobile deposit to purchase electronic or office equipment. If you've been asked to do any of these things, we recommend that you cease contact with the imposters and file a fraud claim with the FBI via their fraud claim website, ic3.gov. If you were reached out by to by someone claiming to be from our company about a job, and when it, I'm saying our company, it should be your the name of your company, and have already provided direct deposit information or have deposited a check in your account from someone claiming to be from here, contact your bank immediately as this is most likely a recently new type of scam preying on unemployed people looking for remote work. You can change some of the specifics, right? If you guys do sometimes reach out to people that haven't applied via your website, change it to something else. These are just some examples of listing things that can't be spoofed. You know, you wouldn't want to say, we'll only call you from our phone number because we all know that outgoing phone numbers can be spoofed. I did also when I was thinking about writing that copy, I was thinking about how can we avoid more customer service calls to your call center because that's another impact. Beyond the brand impact, this is a huge operations cost with customer service, doing this and calling. And sure, yeah, and one good advice for victims is, or potential victims, is to call the company and say, hey, do you have somebody who works here by this name? But usually they can't say that, right? Or are you hiring for this position? They might be, right? It might be publicized. So trying to think of ways that a victim can verify your know, information or that you know that without it having 100 points on your end was my objective, my objective in coming up with these suggestions. Additionally, beyond, you know, with cargo operational costs, then you've got escalations, right? If, you know, a victim doesn't feel hurt or if your customer service agent doesn't know how to help them, and why would they, unless hopefully this document that I created is helpful, then they're going to want to escalate it up and up and it's going to become a bigger thing. And we all know what happens with fraud and scams, especially naming or pretending to be your company. It's escalated through the company. It creates this whole other fire drill that is just a lot. You know, there's other verbiage that, you know, can be used. And then another thing is that your company should really create a standard operating procedure for your customer service reps to follow when they get a call. And if a call comes in asking if a specific name works at the company, you should never confirm yes. If they are asking about something that does work there and you just say that you can't confirm it due to safety or security reasons, it is okay to say if someone does not work at the company, right? So for example, if they call and ask for John Smith, he does not work here. It's fine. It doesn't work there. But you know, more he does. And of course, with LinkedIn and other social networks, it is easier for scammers to identify people who do work there. So I wouldn't want this to be a big point because if they realize 
oh, people are finding out because we're not using real people's names, then they'll just use real people's names that work there. And most companies have policies where if somebody calls customer service and asks to be transferred to someone specific, especially if it's not someone that, you know, would usually get calls transferred from the customer service department, they just won't get transferred to them. So that also gives the scammers cover. I was not just thinking about what's happening now, but what will happen as we start to clog some of these gaps, because what I do in my consulting with merchants when it comes to payment fraud or other forms of abuse. So I can't help but think through other steps. And then there's, I give the whole section on like what to provide the victims and what to suggest to the victims that they can do. And I'll show that in the next document, which is really focused for the victims. But, and then also the details that can be provided in email format if you prefer. But again, people are gonna be not trusting. And that's really, I think another thing that companies can do is look at the domain. So if you find out, for example, the company that contacted my client did that they were using their company name dot store, for example. First thing I did was quickly went into who is domain register to see who registered the domain and when it was registered. It was registered a week or two before that victim was contacted and it was also a case of where they not be they paid extra to have because it probably wasn't their money it was probably stolen guard to have the domain uh private but or the domain registered private so that but there was an email address for the abuse team at the domain register so i suggested or registrar so i suggested to that victim and employer that they contact that domain registrar to say hey this is an impersonator they're impersonating us using for scams take that domain down can they create another one yeah They'll probably also move on to a whole other employer who doesn't know about this yet. But it is an action that you can take to slow down their scheme a little bit and to make them stop impersonating your company. So uh, that's some of the information. I know that there, um, you can contact the FTC and contact IC3 to fill out claims. We know that a lot of times those claims go into a repository, which is helpful and good so that if it helps U.S. federal law enforcement track how many complaints about specific scams are happening and there's enough complaints about the same groups or organizations, they'll tie them all together. It's important, but I do always tell people if you are Filling those out, don't expect an FBI agent to knock on your door and want to solve the case tomorrow. Unfortunately, there's just way too many, but it is still very helpful information. Other advice that came in from my network, because you can conduct an online search of your company's name to identify if multiple websites are listed and obviously report fraudulent sites to those domain registrars. Have your recruiters audit listings on major job listing sites like LinkedIn, like Indeed, like ZipRecruiter, et cetera, against any internal openings to ensure that they're all legitimate. And then you, all, you may also wish to alter your LinkedIn settings so that users can't associate themselves with your company unless they have approved email. I don't know as much about that, but I think that's a great option too, so that you can't have people there uh, at one point was one crypto company in particular that had, I don't even know, like 30 CISOs at one point. Because someone told me about there was um, a lot of people impersonating CISOs for various scams. And just one in particular, it was like how the only way it was found actually is that a vendor was trying to sell to the CISO of that company. And they're like, how are there 20 CISOs, this one company? And why are they all different? And why are some more? experience others and all kinds of stuff so that's you know something to know and also know that just looking and seeing if the recruiter that's contacting you or has contacted someone just has a few connections isn't enough either right because that first victim was like well i looked him up and he had eight thousand connections it could have been account takeover or it could all be fake accounts or he could have just gone on a spree that happens quite often with legitimate people as well as 
regular people, right? Unfortunately or fortunately. So that's part of it. As far as things to tell victims, obviously give them some signs to look for. And then some of the things that I recommend that companies share with victims as well as the victims know about is if a check has been deposited, they need to contact their bank about the check immediately. The bank's the only entity in a position to reverse the check and or investigate where the funds went. We cannot promise that the bank will reverse the the check. They're just the only ones who can. And that I think is an important distinction. Never want to promise anyone that anything can happen, especially when they're in this heightened state, because they will grasp onto that forever and be like, that one person 10 people ago said it could happen or that it will happen. But I think just saying, you know, they're the only ones who are in a position to be able to do it. I cannot promise if they can, but they have more information to investigate it. So you need to contact them right away. If they provided their bank account information on a direct deposit form, they need to notify their bank immediately on that too. The bank will most likely put a temporary hold on their account for transfers and withdrawals, or it might just be better to close the account altogether and transfer all the funds to a new account with that bank or with another bank if you know, you're not happy with them anyways, but that is far beyond my scope of <laughs> recommendations. If your bank, and this is actually just something good to do for everyone, I have this on all of my bank accounts and my bank asks me every time if they didn't, I would be upset, is as an added security measure, request a secret password to be added to your account. So when anyone calls about that account or any accounts that you have, they're connected to it, the caller has to disclose the secret password in addition to the typical security questions. It's fairly easy to look up, you know, your mother's maiden name and your date of birth or the last four digits of your social security number. But when you can pick a password of any length, and it's not a password that you write down anywhere. This is just one that the customer service department has to verify it's you. There are also some phone companies that also do that, that I also recommend from a SIM swapping prevention perspective. Having that secret password that is not any, like I said, it should not be any password that's ever been breached. It should not be anything that you have written anywhere. It shouldn't even be something that somebody could guess, right? It should never be your dog's name or your first pet's name or your children's name or your anniversary date, anything like that. Should be something ambiguity, ambiguous, I can't say that word, but you know what I mean, where people can't guess it. And that way it gives you added certainty, but also your bank as well. I wish all banks required that, but that's a whole other story. I also highly recommend changing the password of your online banking, especially if the password is shared with any other online accounts. You know, you can't, you should have your credit reports frozen or the victim should have their credit reports frozen. It's important to know that they're all three required by the U.S. law to provide all consumers the ability to freeze their credit for free, but they don't make it easy to find. I give some instructions on that. But at the same time, people will say, freeze your credit and you're good. Well, it depends on what information they got, right? If they just got your password to something, freezing your credit, but freezing your credit is going to prevent identity theft. And chances are, if you filled out an application with this fake employer, or you gave them any information they can easily turn that into opening up new credit cards or lines of credit in your name, as well as bank accounts. So in this case, it's important. Um, and it's important to just be extra vigilant, right? You might receive more phone calls now. You might receive more texts. You might, different things like that. So just being extra vi vigilant. You know, if the victim sent anything, such as electronics to a company to download proprietary software to an address via a carrier, right? Whether it's UPS, USPS, FedEx, CHL, et cetera, they should contact the carrier to try to reverse the delivery as soon as possible. If it hasn't been delivered, and if it has, when they file a claim or when you file a claim with law enforcement, that should be included in there. Any extra information that law enforcement doesn't have from somewhere else, it's going to be important they add as much as possible. And again, you know, they may file and they should file a claim with the FBI and IC3.gov as well as the FTC, who's also tracking these complaints. Just again, 
no one should think that someone's going to take on that case tomorrow or even in the next few months. It's just not a realistic expectation. I wish it was. We had some conversations on that with Dave and Raul from the Secret Service and Department of Homeland Security a few weeks ago. But, you know, they're tight on bandwidth and have to prioritize among a lot of crimes. So it's the best we can do. A few other things for victims, as you keep victims reporting this type of fraud, they can also... Um, Someone else said that the FBI El Paso office is trying to track this, but I haven't verified any of that. They change all passwords. I'm just reading what people from LinkedIn said, and I honestly didn't look to see which ones I had already said. Telling people, it's a, it is the best practice to vet the company you're applying for. But again, like, you're not always going to know, and that's really hard, but like, they do a really good job. But I think knowing those red flags of they should never ask you to just deposit a picture of a check through your mobile banking app. And you should never be filling out a form for direct deposit anymore and sending it in. Whenever I do that for direct deposit, it's usually on a platform with a well-known company that does that in a portal that's third party that nobody else can get access to. You know, if anyone ever asks me to just fill out direct deposit with a pen and upload it with your PDF, I'm like, oh. Yeah, no, don't feel comfortable. Or we're going to have bigger conversations first. We're going to try a different workaround. Maybe I'll say, hey, I'm going to provide you an invoice where you can pay by credit card. In 2023, there's no reason why your routing number or your bank account number should be written out anywhere. You also don't know how that other company's going to store it. So whether they're a scammer or not, that's just good best practice. And then um, even if you're in the middle of conversations with a scammer, if you recognize any of these red flags, just get off the phone. Don't worry about being polite. Uh, so those are just a few things. I Like I said, I'm, we pretty much have documents together. My assistant and I, she's been so helpful in this. This isn't a project that I'm doing for any client or anything like that. That's the goodness of my heart. So I asked my assistant to help with some of it. But I just, I think it's important. And one of the biggest problems about scams is nobody knows who to contact. I have a much longer rant about why the kind of reform I think needs to happen in each country that's dealing with a lot of scams right now. But that's going to be a much longer term solution and a long time away. And also I require a lot of budget. So in the meantime, we kind of have to be scrappy and do the best we can. But guys, it is obviously a treacherous world out there. We've known it for years, but it is really targeting, you know, our sisters and our brothers and our friends and our parents and grandparents and people that we don't know. And I am sure that because people kind of know a little bit about what you do, let's be clear, and we really totally understand what'll help me do. You might have somebody reach out to you and say, hey, this happened to me, what do I do? So I wanted to make sure that was helpful. But also as more and more companies are being impersonated, this kind we all know anyone in fraud uh, within a company is also the CEO of randomness, her chief officer of randomness. Maybe that's it. I uh, know that there are COR positions, you know, uh, well, I guess CRO positions, chief revenue officers, but chief officer of randomness is definitely in the fraud category. This might land on your desk. And so I hope this is helpful. If there's anything else that you'd add to this, let me know. And again, if you uh, want to get a copy of that document when we have it finalized up, which is pretty close. Send an email to info at chargelyticsconsulting.com. I will also put it in the show notes and I'll have my assistant give me a list of people requesting it, obviously first, but once I you know, verify that you're legit, I'll have her send it off. So, all right. I, as always, uh, appreciate this and appreciate you guys always listening and just all of the great feedback and information you provide me in this sometimes two-way conversation. And I look forward to speaking with you more next week.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.